We are in our annual discipleship series, our primer on what it actually means to follow Jesus today. We've called it Follow Me, and this is a bit of a nod from a uh, profound and often overlooked moment in John chapter 21, where Jesus calls Peter twice, once after his restoration and healing, and once after Peter gets distracted with something that doesn't matter, his call to Peter is what? What does he command Peter to do? Louder. You have the right answer. Follow me. There you go. You guys got to help me out. I have drummer's ear. I've drummed for like 20 years, so you got to yell at me. And the big idea really is this that we've been getting at, is to follow Jesus is to apprentice under him, which is to orient our entire life around these three goals of what? Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. Do what Jesus did or join him in his work. You got it. So part one, a couple of weeks ago, I opened up this series talking all around what it actually means uh, to apprentice or disciple under Jesus. What it actually looked like then as Jesus was calling disciples to himself and what it looks like now in our modern digital distracted world. And part two, last week, if you were here, Matt and Alyssa did a phenomenal job walking us through the reality of practice that practice is essential if we actually want to change. I want to today drill in a little bit deeper to that idea of change. And I want to start by asking you a question. This is a rhetorical question. Maybe don't shout this one out. But it's this question, who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? As you look down the trajectory of your life, who are you becoming? How are the decisions you are making with your time, your money, your family, your job, all that God has given you to steward, whether it's great or meager, how are all of those decisions shaping your future? Maybe another way to ask is if you look at your life 20 years from now, maybe 30 years from now, like projected out, So I'm 34. If I were to look at my life when I'm 54 or 64, as I look at the future of my life and as you do the same, who are you becoming? Alper, you can go ahead and put on that slide because I want us to sit with that question for just a moment. Who are you becoming? As a follower of Jesus, this is a really crucial question to grapple with because the question gets quite a bit more specific than just in the general who are you becoming, but more specifically, are you on track to become more or less like Jesus? Through your person and personality, in our time, in our place, of course, but are you on track with the decisions you're making about your home, your money, your calendar, your kids, your job, your homeschooling, your public schooling, like whatever life for you looks like right now? your side hustles, your friendships, your time at coffee shops or breweries, like everything you're doing in life, your grandkids, like everything you're doing, are you on track to become more or less like Jesus? There's a cliched old adage that if you you have a goal of where you want to go, like on a road trip, and you just take a slightly different way to get there, slightly different angle, or maybe if I'm like on track, I was just in Denver uh, last weekend, if I'm on track to do a road trip to Denver, but I maybe start out on the 10, where's that going to get me? 
Yeah, it's Vegas. It's not going to get me to Denver. If I just, but from here, kind of all the highways start in the same place. But just those little things here and there, particularly at the beginning of your journey, have a way of dictating where you actually end up. So who are you becoming? And I have maybe another question. Is this image of who you're becoming changeable, dynamic, or is it static? Is it fixed? Have you bought into the idea that who you are is just who you are and there's no going back? Is change possible? The picture we get from the Bible, particularly the New Testament, is one of constant and continual change and transformation to be more like Jesus. So the Bible's answer, in short, to that question of is this kind of change even possible is a resounding yes, it is possible. The promise of the New Testament, in fact, is nothing short of full-on transformation. We're not just talking little tweaks here and there, but wholly becoming someone or something else. Paul, as he's describing his ministry to the church in Corinth, he kind of caps off a paragraph in verse 18, kind of with a we-all statement. And he says this, quote, And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So throughout Scripture, and particularly in the New Testament, we find this kind of thing all over the place. That transformation, or another way to describe transformation would be growing into the likeness of Christ, is not only the goal, but the expectation of the Christian life. Now, Step back for just a second. I don't know what your church heritage or background is like, but I kind of grew up in a church heritage or background. They, they never come out and say this, but it was kind of understood generally that kind of who you are is who you are. And like, if you don't really see real change or real transformation, like, that's okay. God just made you the way you are. And if he's going to change you, that's his business, not yours. It was kind of an ultra hands-off situation. And so any talk about growth or maturity or sanctification, if we, if we grab a hold of those things ourselves, it's like, oh, you're, you're robbing God of his role in your life. Now, I don't, know, I don't know if that at all resonates with any of your backgrounds or heritage coming in, but as I read through the New Testament, I, I don't see quite a clear cut. It's either God's job or my job. I, I see this tension. I see this tension of a partnership regarding who does the transforming. See, 2 Peter 1 tells us, you and me, to make every effort to be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Like, the onus is squarely on you, according to 2 Peter chapter 1. But in Romans 8, Paul says God is on about something in your life. He's on about something in you. He is doing a work in you. And in fact, he tells the Philippians of Philippians 1.6 that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So who does the transforming according to the Bible? Does God do the transforming through his spirit or do we do it by making every effort and being all the more diligent? Which is it? Yeah, both. Exactly. Frequently, what we try to make a black and white issue, Scripture invites us into some tension. It is both and, not either or. Notice the tension here in Philippians chapter 2 as Paul's writing to the church there. In verses 12 and 13, Therefore, my beloved, 
As you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Here we go. Check this out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, if we stop right there, we may get a lopsided view of what it means to grow in Christ, that I have to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. But he's not done. There's a comma, not a period. So in verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And we see in two verses this beautiful tension we find all throughout the New Testament of God's work and your work at play together. This back and forth dance taking place to make you more like him. Now, he's doing the heavy lifting for sure, right? He is doing the heavy lifting, but you and I are not off the hook in our own maturity and change and transformation. The reality we find in the New Testament is that God's at work, and you need to be at work as well. In fact, God was at work long before you, enabling you to join him in his work. Paul, as he's describing this kind of life and change and sanctification, he uses this particular word, and in the Greek it's enduyo, but it means to put on. And the image we get with this word enduyo is to sink into or to put on like a, like a piece of clothing. I'm so happy you were all clothed today. You all had to do this. You all had to put on a shirt and pants and socks and a, maybe a jacket, maybe a sweater. Like you all had to do this this morning. And in the same way, it's this word picture that Paul gives us here. In the same way that we put on our jacket or our t-shirt, we are putting on our Christ-likeness, which means it is a kind of daily, regular discipline that we get to engage in or not. You have the choice to leave your house clothed or not. In the same way, you have the choice to join God in his work in you or not. He tells the Romans, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. To the Ephesians, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And to the Colossians, do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off, past tense, the old self with its practices, and have put on, still past tense right there, have put on the new self, which is being renewed. Now, being renewed is this present ongoing thing. So we've put off, we've put on, and the active work of the Spirit in our life is renewing us every single day in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, according to Paul, these things do not just happen to us we engage in that process of change. Something has happened once and for all. Jesus has saved us and brought us into the family, and now you and I are called to engage with him in a lifelong journey of transformation. And here's the reality about transformation. It takes participation and intentionality. For those of you who've been hanging around Anthem for any length of time, you've probably heard me say that sentence dozens of times. Transformation will not just happen to you. Now, God in His grace may divinely intervene over the course of your life a few times to get your attention, but by and large, the kind of transformation that we see promised, expected in the Bible requires your participation and intentionality. Great church father Augustine once wrote, without him we can't, without us he won't. 
But what happens if we're not intentionally participating in our own transformation? What happens when we don't, when we think it might just happen to us, when we're not careful and cautious and intentional about the decisions we make as to whether they're making us become more or less like Jesus? What happens if that is our posture? The reality is, if that is our posture, we hand over that role of forming and shaping us to other people, to the culture around us, or even the enemy. We are intentional here at Anthem about our formation into the likeness and image of Jesus, because just by waking up, the world is trying to form us into something or someone else. Think about how you wake up in the morning. Just picture your morning routine. Some of you sleep with your phone next to you. Sinners, I can't do that. <laughs> I'm not as mature as some of you guys. I have to put my phone far away on the other side of, how, of the house. Otherwise, I know my tendency will be to immediately get up and see what notifications I missed, to look at my breaking news alerts, to open up my email box to see if any of you guys are mad at me. Just kidding, that doesn't happen. Um, to see what text messages, what missed calls I've had, especially if I'm like sleeping in a little bit past normal and I'm feeling like I'm getting caught, you know, backfooted or something. Or if you have kids, like sometimes you don't even wake yourself up, your kids wake you up. And then you're like, oh, geez. And then you're responding and reacting to some demand they're making at 6 a.m. for breakfast or something like that. And just from the very get-go, before you even leave your house, the world is trying to form you, oftentimes through, through these things right here. And if we're not intentional about our own transformation and all the little and big decisions we're making on the everyday we can slowly relinquish control to these things to form us instead. And instead of being shaped by God and his presence and his word, even if it's just a moment in quiet and silence and presence with God, we're now being shaped by the news around us or whatever demands are being asked of us or a calendar and if that's stressing us or bringing anxiety or bringing joy. Really the question as we think about formation and transformation and growth is not, am I being formed, but who or what am I being formed into? I think often we believe this lie that, like, growth happens in a neutral vacuum, right, where, where nothing is trying to get our attention, and, you know, if we miss a day of scripture reading or miss a day of prayer or whatever, it's like, ah, every, everything will be fine because I just, we exist in this net zero world, Right? The reality is, though, there are so many voices trying to form and shape you and me. And we have to be asking ourselves, are we on track to become more like Jesus or less? Are we giving away our own formation to other people or other things? Because we are always being formed into something. As we talk about how to become more like Jesus, we have to have a fairly robust understanding of the voices that are trying us to form into something or someone else. The great theologian Martin Luther categorized these forces that are running against your and my spiritual formation as the world, the flesh, and the enemy. The world is kind of the current of life in the modern world that doesn't exactly accommodate spiritual rhythms of life for thriving as disciples of Jesus, right? We don't wake up with an abundance of time and space, with no one asking of anything of us, and we can just kind of get up whenever we want, 8.30, 9 a.m. Oh, I'm just going to spend an hour with the Lord. 
and then move on to whatever task you have. No, it's usually you wake up and there are demands placed upon you, legitimate or not, real or not, there are demands placed upon you. And this is just the world we live in. It's no use trying to shut that stuff up and pretend it doesn't exist. We have to realize we live in a time and a place that is highly distractible and highly digitized. But it's not just the world and the culture around us. We also have to understand we and our own carnal desires will always choose what we want now over what we want most. You guys remember that from last week with Matt and Alyssa? Like ultimately practice and being formed into Jesus and living into his kingdom is about choosing what we want most, our most inward deeply held desires to be with our creator for all eternity over what we want now, which is more stuff, more money, quiet kids, a more peaceful life, a different job, whatever. Our lives by default are most accommodating, unaccommodating to the things of Jesus. And whether you're an over-busied or over-lazied person, trying to challenge vocation and, and rest and kids, it's easy to zone out with a smartphone or streaming service than it is to wake up early and pray. Our own daily actions contribute to the way we either become more like Jesus or less like him. The decisions you make first thing in the morning or the middle of the day or late at night, what you do with your time. And I'm, like, I'm not like a don't ever watch TV. We, we watch TV, watch movies at home, you know. But like as you're thinking about your life and the decisions you make, wanting to gratify the things in you right now or those things leading you towards or away from the person of Jesus. And Luther also gives us the enemy, Satan, the very real enemy of God and his followers. And it seems obvious to note that, like, the enemy does not want you to grow in Christ-likeness, but often that's the one that's maybe furthest from our mind. That, like, there is actual, like, spiritual warfare happening for your own maturity and sanctification. One of his primary goals, to quote some language from Peter, is to make you ineffective for the sake of the kingdom. So more often than not, he wants to stall you out, make you complacent, comfortable. And those things align with our personal pleasure and self, right? We want to be comfortable, safe, and secure so we don't cause any waves, so we don't stir anything up. The enemy loves to give those things to you to pacify you. But the invitation of the scriptures is to counter all of that unintentional formation, the world, the flesh, the enemy, just by waking up, your smartphone, all the things at work to turn you into something or someone else, the invitation of Scripture is to actually counter that with intentional formation, to choose to be shaped by the Holy Spirit into the character and image of Jesus, to join Him in His work in you, helping you become more like Jesus. So we must ask the question, if unintentional formation is just the inevitable inertia of our world, unchecked, intentional formation is becoming like Jesus. But how do we do that? How do we change to become more like Jesus? Not once, but engage in a lifetime process of changing to become more like him. And for us, this is the how. I, I think every, every church community, every Christian needs a working theory of change. Because if you don't have a goal, you're going to hit it every time. 
And so if we don't actually define what it looks like for us to move forward, then we're just going to always kind of be in this rut, running around in a circle. How do we become more like Jesus? Classically, the process by which we become more like Jesus has been known by a few different names. Spiritual formation, depending on your heritage, it might have been called sanctification, spiritual maturity, spiritual growth. It's all kind of language for the same thing. Like your inner self changing from the inside out to become more like Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. All getting at the similar idea. Now here's, here's the rub for us. As many of us either think my future self is fixed and maybe I can hack life a little bit here and there, but for the most part I am who I am. Or we maybe think we can change, so step in the right direction, but the way we think we can change is just by more information. You and I are living through one of the biggest revolutions of human history. And it doesn't always feel like it. It doesn't always feel like you're living through it when you're in it. But if we look back, there have been these moments that have so marked human history. One of them is the printing press and kind of the rise of global literacy that has forever changed the world, which has inevitably left us here coming out of the 2000s is the internet age. You have so much information accessible to you. If you want to learn how to, I was just talking to uh, James, who's, who's out. James and Lindsay had their baby, and I was just talking to him the week before he had off work, before the baby came. So he was doing all these house projects, and he was working on his roof. Like, there was, I don't understand exactly what was happening, but there was something bubbling up on his roof and kind of messing with some of the shingles, and he had to go in there and figure out, and some kind of leak was going on. And I was like, oh, James, have you ever done any, like, roof work? I know he's an electrician, so I'm like, maybe he just knows how to do everything around the house. Um, it's like, James, have you ever done work on a roof before? Like, do you have any experience? He's like, oh, no, no. I was like, well, how'd you figure out what to do? Did you call on a friend? Or he's like, no. Where, where do you think he learned? YouTube, yeah. He's like, no, I just watched this YouTube video, and then I went up there, and I tried it out myself. Now, I think that's YouTube on display is one of the greatest tools of our time, for sure. But often, we think our spiritual formation is a bit like that. Oh, shoot. I don't really know the answer to this question. I don't really know how to do this. Let me go online and learn some new information. But here's where we're different than James in that moment. James watched the video, and what did he do? He immediately put it into practice. He was going there to solve a problem that he was actually going to physically do. But so many of us stop before that moment. We're like, ah, oh, I need to figure out this answer to this question. I'm going to read this book. I'm going to go online. I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to ask this person. We gain that new information, and then we just stop. And we think information alone will change us. Spoiler alert, it does not. I'm going to get to that in a second. But what I want to do is actually map out our theory of change, our kind of paradigm for how we transform to be more like Jesus. And it's a couple of things all working together. Now, before I beat up on information again in just a second, there is actually a rightful place for new information. And biblically, the framework would be teaching, like teaching from Scripture. It's what I'm doing here. It is undermining the false stories of this world that we so often believe with the true story of God and how he changes everything. It gives us a picture of the good life that Jesus preaches about and helps us understand and comprehend the Scriptures. Changing to become more like Jesus does involve information. Yes, absolutely. It involves teaching. It involves Scripture. Paul writes to the Romans, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your what? Mind. 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is something we do choose to engage with or not. Like engaging with the scriptures, engaging with teaching, Sunday sermons, kind of other ways of training and learning, you have a choice. You can either do that or you can not do that. You get to, as a fully autonomous human being, get to choose to read your Bible and be shaped by it or not. You have a choice to show up at church or catch the podcast and learn together with the community what we're learning through Scripture or not. The key takeaway here around teaching is that it takes no effort to believe the stories around us. But it does take thoughtful effort and engagement to see it all through the lens of Scripture. The barrage of marketing and messaging that comes at you on the regular is insane. And if you wonder why our country is so polarized, why things feel feel so crazy on a national front, it's because it takes no effort to buy into the loudest voice that sort of aligns with what you think already. And you just get more and more trapped in that echo chamber and worldview. Left, right, I don't know, somewhere not on that spectrum, it doesn't really matter. But unchecked, it takes no effort to believe those stories because there are hundreds and thousands of voices that are reaffirming that you are in the right tribe or the right camp. However, it does take thoughtful effort and engagement to see everything in life through the lens of Scripture. So how do we change? How do we become more like Jesus? First part of that paradigm is teaching, is elevating the story of God above the stories of the world around us. The second piece to that paradigm of how we change is community. We can't follow Jesus alone. Nobody's the exception. Jesus didn't have a disciple. He had many disciples. The Christian life was never meant to be left alone. We just worked through Intro to House Church together a couple of weeks ago, if you are in a house church. And so we're reminded that engaging in common activities of worship, prayer, study, celebration, service with other disciples of Jesus is something that he not only embraced, but he modeled for us. So rather than isolating when life gets hard, the way of Jesus points us towards people when life gets hard. Because community exposes you like a sponge that is squeezed, like what is leaked out of you. You can't run away from these people. Eventually you get to the real stuff. And the inner you comes out, but it also encourages you. You have other people pointing you towards Jesus and the good life. That's why the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. Do you think the writer of Hebrews was really set on church attendance? Like really excited to get butts in chairs? Do you think that was a thing for the writer of Hebrews? I don't think so. I think there's something else at work because there are some who cultivated this habit that do not regularly engage with the family of God, and they're lacking something. What are they lacking? The encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day, capital D Day, drawing near. We can choose our friendships and our relationships so we can pick the people who are like us, dress like us, talk like us, vote like us, shop like us and never really be challenged to grow. This is why, to me, one of the great tragedies of COVID is there was a great church reshuffling based on political preference. I don't know if you guys have noticed this on a micro level. Me and the other pastors I regularly pray and gather with in Ventura notice this on a macro level, and it grieved us. 
because it made all of our jobs harder because suddenly people were stuck in their echo chambers with all the people who agreed with them about masks or vaccines or whatever the thing is of the day. And it's what I've loved so deeply about Anthem over the years is that in any given Sunday or in any given house church, there's a diverse group of people coming together. However, this is the beauty of community. You don't always get to choose these people. Think about your house church. You don't really get to choose that. You may have thought you were choosing them, but you don't really get to choose them, especially once you get to know them. Like, oh, shoot. Did I pick the wrong house church? I'm stuck with Bert and Sherry. And their life just seems like chaos. Ah. But these are the people who will call you on your stuff. And our key takeaway is that community is mandatory if you want to experience transformation. You will not transform on your own. And the fourth part of our little triangle here, teaching community, practice. This is what Matt and Alyssa did such a great job on last week. This is going to take a lifetime of practice. Let me ask you a question. I think Matt and Alyssa asked this last, you, uh, last week, but I want to ask it again. Have you, or do you, ever experience a gap between what you know and what you do? Think about it. Have you ever experienced a gap between what you know and what you actually do? The scientific term is cognitive dissonance, right? That we somehow live one way in our minds, but act one other way in life. Have you ever found that new knowledge and information don't seem to translate into a new way of life? The separation of mind and action, cognitive dissonance. I had a friend who would always enjoy watching Netflix documentaries just to get hyped up about something, but would never actually change how they lived. So they would watch uh, some documentary. What was, that, what was that one about the orcas way back when on Netflix? You guys remember this? Blackfish, yeah. You know, just the tragic kind of awful, you know, way about poaching whales and putting them in cages and all that stuff. And, and they're like, yeah, getting really hyped up and really amped up. But like, how are you ever going to change? Like, you didn't go to SeaWorld before. You're not going to SeaWorld after. And so you just have all this new information that is giving you anxiety maybe, or it's hyping you up maybe, or it's giving you this hit of adrenaline, but you don't actually do anything. The the activism of the last 10 to 20 years with the advent of social media means you can go on and tweet or post something in alignment with some cause or some person or whatever, all while you're just sitting on your couch eating a pizza. You're not actually going out there and helping anyone. You're just tweeting about it. You're just posting, reposting some Instagram thing. And this does something dangerous to us when we have this way of living in our head that doesn't translate to how we actually live. Information alone does not change us. Often it creates more anxiety in us because there's a greater discrepancy about what we think and how we live. I think Jesus knew this. He knows, and he taught about all the things neuroscience is now confirming. When he says something like this in Luke chapter 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Why do you, why do you claim to follow me, but not actually follow me? C.S. Lewis has this great takeaway in one of his essays. He says this, quote, to have faith in Christ means, of course, trying to do all that he says. There would be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you did not take his advice. Thus, if you really have handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you are trying to obey him. 
but trying in a new way, a less worried way, not doing these things in order to be saved, but because he has already begun to save you already. Not hoping to get to heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act in a certain way because a first faint gleam of heaven is already inside you. Gosh, how good is that? I think so many of us have experienced this over the past two years, and even sought in friends and and family. The amount of knowledge one had had little to no impact on whether they're following Jesus today or not. It's the sad part of the last two years is we all know friends, family members who may be a part of a robust church community here or someone else and are no longer. Maybe it seems like had some kind of faith, and it seems like they don't have any faith anymore. People who knew a lot about the Bible, not really reading it, engaged with the community, walking with Jesus anymore. So many of us feel the disconnect between that promise of change and transformation and our actual lived reality. Because we believe information alone will change us, which is why practice is so important, which is why last week Matt and Alyssa devoted a whole Sunday around the idea of practice. Because it's not about trying really hard, it is about training really hard. Dallas Willard reminds us that grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. We're not earning anything, but we are joining with the Spirit in our change. Key takeaway, information alone doesn't change us. So, teaching, community, practice, inside that little triangle of change is the Holy Spirit. And here's the goal here, is that the Holy Spirit becomes the dominant voice and reality over the voice of your environment. It's the baseline for all transformation. We have to buy into a different story. We have to listen to a different voice. Being with Jesus is the foundational relational context for becoming like Jesus. There's no genuine spiritual formation apart from actually being with him. Because we're just talking about behavior modification at that point, which Jesus is wholly uninterested in. And Jesus said in John 14 and 16 that he'll send the helper. He won't orphan us. He sent the Holy Spirit who teaches all things and bring to remembrance everything that Jesus taught. In John 15, 5, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. You can't change that bad habit or that addiction. You can't make yourself want to pray or read scripture or show up at church anymore. We engage with the Holy Spirit, because apart from Him, we can do nothing. So our key takeaway is that the Holy Spirit becomes the dominant voice and reality over the voice of your environment. But the last piece to our little triangle of change, teaching, community, practice, Holy Spirit is in the middle, is this happens over time through trials. Or as Jay-Z says, the hard knocks of life. Like, it happens over a long stretch of time. We often want microwave discipleship, but there is no silver bullet or quick fix. This will take time. So what Eugene Peterson called long obedience in the same direction. The hardest, most difficult moments can become moments that shape you like crazy. They can be 
They have the potential to be. Because in those hard moments, we have the choice to engage with the Spirit in our own change or to get mad at God through it and distance ourselves. Peter talks about a refining fire of faith in Peter chapter 1. But James says it like this in James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Ignatius of Loyola said it like this, quote, We should not fix our desires on health or sickness, wealth or poverty, success or failure, long life or a short one, for everything has the potential of calling forth in us a more loving response to our life forever with God. Our only desire and our our one choice should be this, I want and I choose what better leads to God's deepening life in me. How good is that? Key takeaway here is that in our hardest moments, instead of distraction, numbing, or getting mad at God, how about partnering with the Holy Spirit to learn and grow and change? Okay, in the Bible, transformation is possible. It's promised, it's expected, but it is not inevitable. Jesus' work opens the door to real transformation in our life. And so the role you and I have to play is to engage the Holy Spirit in our lives over a lifetime to become more like Him through teaching, community, and practice, counting every trial as an opportunity to grow as we partner with Him. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, Paul says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. As followers of Jesus, we have been predestined to become like Jesus. I'm not talking about predestination in the, in the salvation sense. That's a conversation for a different time. I'm talking as someone who is in the family of God, God has an agenda for you. He has a plan for you, and that plan is to become more like Jesus. Will we embrace it or resist it? It's possible. It is promised. It's even expected, but it is not inevitable. So who are you becoming? When you look at the trajectory of your life, as you approach your 30s, your 40s, 50s, 60s, your 70s, your 80s, who are you becoming? I think it's no accident that those who are further along in life are either some of the most generous, gracious, kind, compassionate people, or they are the most stubborn, curmudgeonly grumpy people. Because those habits that we fix into our lives form us, and shape us. And the more time you have with Jesus, the hope is that you look more like him. So you're kind, you're humble, you're teachable, you're loving, you're patient. And that's what I want for myself. That's what I want for you. Not only does God have an agenda for you, I do too. The elders of this church have an agenda for you, and that is to become more like Jesus. And so as we close, 
today, and we respond in, in some worship, um, I want to lead us through three prayers. And it's the same three prayers that Matt and Alyssa led us through last week. I felt it was like important to, to come back to this again, because I think we need to hear it and really wrestle with it. And those three prayers are, Lord, help me grow. Lord, help me want to grow. And Lord, help me want to want to grow. So, Jason, Aaron, come on up. They're going to lead us through response. And I would love for you guys to stand with me. And I want to bless you and lean into that prayer together as we do respond. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here with us. Thank you that you are with us always. But when we come together, you are here in a tangible way. In a unique way, in a special way. Jesus, when your church gathers to worship you and open the scriptures and learn from you, you meet us in this place. And Jesus, as we engage around the idea of change and transformation, for some this may be incredibly exciting and tangible and like, yes, let's do this thing. And for others, this may seem daunting. This may seem hard. It may seem weighty. It may seem contrary to everything they've known or they've learned before. Jesus, we pray these three simple prayers together. Lord, help me grow. Help me grow to be more like you. Help me partner with you. Help me see the work that you're already doing in me. Would you give us, give us the gift of sight, spiritual sight, to see the work you're already doing in us? We're so hard on ourselves and you are so gracious to us. Jesus, lead us to see where you are already working. Help us grow. Lord, help me want to grow. Amidst our own laziness or apathy or comfort, materialism, selfishness, help us overcome the pulls of the world, the flesh, and the enemy and desire to be more like you. And Lord, help me want to want to grow. Jesus, change my desires from the inside out to pursue the things of you. Help me want to want to grow so it's not just a begrudging thing, but like a joyful endeavor you've called us on to. Through teaching, community, practice, through you, the Holy Spirit in us, over time, through trials. I pray we would embrace every opportunity to become more like you. And as we pray and ask these things, we know leaning into these things in prayer is actually your heart for us. You have predestined us to be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus. So we know this is what you want for us. And as we pray these things, we know we're aligning ourselves with your heart, your desire for us. And Jesus, as we pray and consider what it means to change, we know this does not stop with us but it actually spills out onto our kids, our spouses, our friendships, our coworkers, the people we meet at Prospect or Topa or walking down Main Street or out to lunch or out to dinner. Like this work that you're doing from the inside out spills out over us. And I just have in my mind that line from Psalm 23 that says you anoint our head with oil and our cup overflows. And Jesus, as we 
diligently, meagerly, humbly partner with you in our own change. We know you're pouring over our head oil, so much so that our cup spills out onto others. And Jesus, I pray that the individual and collective transformation of those who are part of Anthem would benefit and bless our city. That because of who you are and who you've made us to be, our city is blessed for it. Our city benefits from it. We actually bring value to our community and it becomes a witness to your goodness. Help us to grow. Help us to want to grow. And Jesus, help us want to want to grow. Amen.